Well, today we start a new series on discipleship. Over the summer, we've prepared ourselves for this series by looking at uh, the first disciples of Jesus and what they taught us about following him. During this time, we saw that a disciple is a follower of someone. In Greek, it is literally a learner or a student. And so in this case, we're thinking about what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a learner of Jesus. As well as this, over the summer, looking at Peter, Andrew, and Philip, Thomas, Nicodemus, and John, we saw that a disciple is someone who is on a walk of grace, a process of learning Jesus, someone who finds others to tell about Jesus, someone who questions and believes in Jesus, someone who is transformed and had their minds changed by Jesus. But it's not just the original 12 disciples that we learned this from. There are many other disciples who followed Jesus around, and a great proportion of them were women. In fact, this is what makes Jesus unique. Women played a great role in the Jesus narrative. So to limit those who are disciples just to the original 12 wouldn't do justice to the way that the Bible speaks about discipleship. Rather, a disciple is anyone who would learn to follow Jesus. Anyone who would learn to live according to his ways. Now you might think to yourself, this is simple. I've been a follower of Jesus for many years. I know exactly what it means to be a disciple of his. Well, that could be true. But in another sense, there's no end point to learning Jesus, is there? Uh, There is an end point, but that's when we're in heaven with him. Until then, we're continuing to learn from the Bible and each other what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But one of the problems that we have in the world today is that there are many people who claim to follow Jesus, who claim to be his disciples, but do it in such a a bizarre way that you wonder how on earth they can connect what they're doing with who they're following. Andrew Denton did a show over 10 years ago called God is on my side or God on my side where he went around America looking at how different people follow Jesus. There was one church who claimed to follow Jesus, they needed to overcome temptation. And in order to do that, as part of their church service, they needed to have snakes in there. Just think about that for a second. They needed to have snakes as part of their worship. The idea behind it was if they could overcome the snake, unlike Adam and Eve then they would be right with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine having snakes crawling around here on a Sunday. Uh, I've got a picture of a python that uh, Bishop Edwards had outside his place at summer school over the year. Could you imagine just having that slithering around? Uh, Nevertheless, this is what they claim. In fact, a few years ago, one of the pastors died from a fatal bite from one of the snakes, but there you go. Is that our way forward? To make disciples, should we be filling St. Andrews full of snakes? Closer to home, uh, there are some people, even in the Sydney Anglican churches, who differ in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Some, for some Christians, their lives are no different from those who they live around. Whereas for others, their lives are so vastly different, they could be living on another planet. If I was to say to you, paint a portrait of what a disciple looks like today, you would be forgiven for finding this a hard task. 
On the one hand, you have liberal Christians who do not trust the Bible, who do not believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, but nevertheless claim to follow him. And on the other extreme, you have fundamental Christians who try and follow God's word to the very letter, who cut themselves off from the world and try to live in an isolated Christian community. And then in between both of these extremes, we stand asking the question, what does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, what about you? What does it mean for you to live as a disciple of Jesus in the world today? And if Jesus returned today, would he say to you, yes, you've understood what I mean? Or would he say to you, I do not know you. You are no disciple of mine. Well, friends, today we start to look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ by turning back to the source, to the Bible. And over the next term, it's my hope uh, that we will, it will become clearer on what Jesus teaches about discipleship. But secondly, that as we learn this, our lives will slowly be changed by what his word says, so that finally we can fully embrace this as a way forward for ministry here at St. Andrews. But before we turn to the passage, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus the way, the truth, and the life to live the perfect life and to teach us what it means to be a follower of you. We pray that we will listen to his word today above any other word that is in our head, even our own, so that his word will lead us in this world today in being a faithful disciple of his. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, if you have your Bible open at that short verse, those short verses, sorry, from Matthew 28, uh, that'll be helpful. I'll refer to it throughout the talk. But when approaching this topic of discipleship, there's one thing that we need to get right. Otherwise, we'll never fully understand what it means to be a disciple. And that is the issue of Jesus' authority. Have a look with me at verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just prior to this passage, we've read of Jesus' death and resurrection. The tomb was empty, but a plan had been devised by the guards to cover up the story. But the risen Jesus had appeared to the women, telling them to go and find the disciples and tell them that he has risen from the dead and to go to Galilee where he will meet them. You can imagine the excitement of the disciples on that journey down to Galilee from Jerusalem. It's about a 100-kilometre journey, and they would have walked and talked about what the women had told them. Is it really true? And so we see in verse 16 that they're gathered down there in Galilee, and Jesus starts to approach them. In verse 17, we read that while he was still far off, some worshipped him. Some went, yep, that's him. I can see it. It's Jesus, and started to worship him. But others still doubted. Are you sure? Are you sure that's really Jesus risen again from the dead? You could imagine what they were thinking. How could it be that a man had risen again from the dead? Then in verse 18, we read that he comes near. And then you could imagine the amazement of the disciples. Jesus is alive. He was dead, but now he's alive. And their doubts had gone. Friends, we need to be in no doubt that Jesus rose again from the dead. This is where I believe those who claim to follow Jesus but do not believe in his resurrection have got it wrong. The scriptures clearly testify to the fact that Jesus died upon the cross and that three days later he rose again from the dead. 
The scriptures clearly testified that he appeared to the 11 disciples, but not only to them, to the women at the tomb and to many others, and at one point over 500 people at one time. If you do not believe that Jesus has had a bodily resurrection and now sits at God's right hand in heaven, I think it would hard to be hard for me to see how you could be a disciple of his. Because the passage, this passage and the Bible, so clearly points to the resurrected Jesus. And notice what he says to them there in verse 18. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. This is pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Jesus is saying, as a result of his death and resurrection, he is now the Lord of everything. In 2018 and 2019, I visited two very different capital cities. One was in Washington, D.C., in the USA, and the other was in Delhi, in India. But one thing that they had in common was the grand buildings that they had built for their government. They were enormous. As I walked between them, you could tell that they were making this assertion, we are a powerful nation. You don't want to mess with us. Especially I was amazed with India. I mean, I'd seen lots of images of of Washington, D.C., but in India, the government buildings are absolutely enormous. In fact, the architecture reminds me of what Germany was trying to build uh, back in the 1930s. But it's by their buildings they show their authority. But Jesus' authority comes from his resurrection. Have a look at what Philippians 2 verse 9 says. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, God exalted him to the highest place to make him Lord of the universe. And so in Revelation, we see Jesus sitting on the throne of God as the triumphant warrior. Listen to how he's described there in chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, isn't this just the most incredible picture of who Jesus is. He's the one who has ultimate power in the universe. He's someone that is not to be messed with. He's someone that we shouldn't be on the wrong side of, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's so far removed from the image that we saw of Jesus only a few weeks ago that the world still tries to portray him as this little baby, helpless in a manger, and they sing songs about how he makes no crying, which any parent knows is not true. But it shows him to be helpless and not a threat. But friends, Jesus isn't a baby anymore. Yes, he started out that way, but he grew up to be a man, to live, to die, and to rise again. And he is now the ruler of the universe, and God has given him all the authority. And friends, we need to feel the weight of the authority that Jesus has. 
We need to recapture this image of him in our mind and know from Revelation that it is true. One day he will judge the living and the dead. One day he will come back to judge you and me. And he will stand before every one of us, eyes blazing like fire, with a sword coming out of his mouth, ready to bring the fury of the wrath of God, and will say to us, why should I let you into my heaven? You see, friends, it is to him alone that we are accountable. He who knows the thoughts of our hearts, who knows the deepest secrets that we hold. Nothing is hidden from Jesus because all authority has been given to him. And friends, we need to know who Jesus is, the authority he has. And then only after that will we know by what, after that we will know that what he says next will only come naturally to us. So friends, before we move on, let me ask you, do you know the authority that Jesus has? Do you submit to him as your Lord and King? Well, the passage moves on to the command of Jesus. Have a look at verses 19 to 20. Uh, this is what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the therefore is directly connected to the authority of Jesus. Because Jesus has this authority... He now gives the command to his disciples. And the command is make. It is the word make. That's the verb there. The going is not a command, it's a participle. The going, uh, a literal translation would be something like, uh, in your going, in everything that you do, make disciples of all the nations. Jesus will assume that people will go about their everyday business as they do and commands them to make disciples as part of their everyday activities. Jesus wants his followers to make more followers. Now, I take that this passage is uh, Jesus initially speaking directly to the first disciples. This was their command to take. But as they went and made new disciples of Jesus, then the command became his command, because Jesus said, go and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and this is a command of Jesus. And so it continues to be passed down through the generations and so applicable for us today. This is how the kingdom of God grows, one by one as people are made disciples of his. But friends, it's now up to us today, isn't it, as a church, to be making disciples. It's now up to us to hear this command of Jesus and to make disciples. Now, when I mean us, I don't just mean all of us. I also mean the other millions of Christians that are around the world today. But it doesn't mean we can sit back and leave it up to other people. In fact, here in Roseville, there's a population of about 9,170 people. And at the church, we have approximately 1,000 adults and children on the roll. Now, not everyone who is part of this church lives here in Roseville, but just working off these figures, go with me for a sec means that about 8,170 people don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. How are they going to find out? Unless we as a church start to think about how we can help them to become disciples. As Romans 10.15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In fact, this is ingrained, I believe, into the fabric of this church. On the stained glass window behind me, have you seen the words that are there? 
This is the picture that, uh, uh, the picture is Jesus' ascension uh, in heaven. And just before he goes up, what does he say? These words, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, this very building that we are meeting in, which was being built by people who came to church here prior to us, had this in mind. They wanted the message to be at the very fabric of our church. The church building would be a building that would see people go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And they wanted, every time you looked up the front, apart from the big screen in front of me, they wanted you to see those words and be reminded of it. So what are we doing here in church? We're here to remember that we should be going to make disciples of Jesus. It's pretty cool, isn't it? How are we to do this? How are we to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus gives us two ways here. He says, by baptizing them, firstly, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to baptize people. Now, baptism here is not necessarily a one-off water baptism. Uh, It does carry the understanding of immersing yourself in something. Uh, When you're baptized uh, into water, it's a a one-off event, but it's got ongoing significance. When you are baptized into water, you're immersed in the water. But when you're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you are becoming fully immersed in them. You are becoming fully immersed in God. That is, you're asking people to not only be ident- identify themselves as followers of Jesus, but to be in a relationship with him as well, to absorb who the Father, Son, and Spirit is into their lives. Of late, I've been trying to be a, a, a better follower of my football team. Uh, for instance, you may or may not know that I support Liverpool Football Club. Just put up your hand if you support Liverpool Football Club in this room. Okay, just a handful. They're winning, they're coming first. So, oh, a whole lot more people are supporting them. I've seen them a few times live, uh, life. Sorry, I've seen them a few times in real life, but I wanted to make myself look more like a follower of theirs. So I bought a, a scarf, I bought a beanie, I bought a cap, I bought a, a jacket. I immersed myself into the team, so much so that if I walk down the street and I'm wearing my Liverpool jacket and someone walked past, they said to me, we're going to win the league this year. And I go, yeah, yeah, because they know that I'm a su- supporter. They know that I identify in that way. And I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says, go and baptize people into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're to immerse ourselves so much into who the Father, the Son and the Spirit are by reading God's word and by getting to know them better that we look like followers of his. That as we we do things, we do things differently to those in the world around us. When we speak, we speak differently to those in the world around us because we, we act and we speak as followers of his. And through this, God then will provide opportunities for us to answer people when they ask us the question, why are you living so differently? Why, why do you do this? Why don't you, you swear? Why don't you? I could go on. But because we're living and speaking as one who is immersed in the Father, Son, and Spirit, we're then identifying ourselves as followers of his. And friends, when we make disciples, we need to help other people do this as well. As people come to church, we need to help them to join the team by being the best example of what it means to live on that team, Jesus. As Stu says, we want to welcome people in and help them to know that that they can identify themselves with us because we identify ourselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to help them act like one of the team, to talk like one of the team, 
and to show them that this comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to baptize people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus says, we need to teach them to obey everything he has commanded. That is, we need to teach people that Jesus is Lord and his words need to be obeyed. I'm not sure if many Christians have fully comprehended what this means in the world today. I know even I struggle with this. But Jesus wants us to be obedient to him, to see his commands of first most important in our lives, to listen to him even more than we listen to ourselves. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. Being a disciple of Jesus means obeying someone other than yourself. It means obeying Jesus' words. We live in a society where we're taught to live for ourselves, aren't we? We're taught that what we say and do is right. Uh, You might remember the slogans of do what you want to do and be what you want to be, or the most important person in this world is you. Remember those slogans? We live in a society that teaches that, that, that individualism is right. Above listening to anyone else, you should be listening to yourself and be true to yourself. But here, Jesus is saying to be a disciple of his, you need to obey his commands. I have a, a confession to make. I think we've known each other for long enough uh, for me to be true with you about this. I am a man enough to stay it. I've done a cross-stitch. Yep. wasn't very big, but I've done a cross-stitch. I haven't done one since, but I've done it. And if there's one thing I learned from a cross-stitch, you need to obey the instructions. Uh, Normally, reading instructions, in my opinion, is for wimps. You take the thing, you put the instructions to the side, and you get on doing it yourself. Yeah, anyone with me here? Okay, a few people, that's good. But with a cross-stitch, you can't do that. You have to follow the instructions, otherwise you get it completely wrong, especially if you're doing it for the first time. And friends, it's like this with obeying the commands of Jesus. If we desire to be his disciples, we can't be listening to what other people say about what it means to follow Jesus. We can't be listening to what the world says. We can't be making it up ourselves. We need to come back to the source, to his words, and to only listen to him and to only obey him. And so over this next term, we'll be looking more at what the commands of Jesus are and how we are to respond to them. But friends, as we do, we need to keep this in mind, that we need to be setting the example of this first and foremost. We need to be the ones who are looking to obey his commands before we can possibly teach others and help others to live this way. And so we need to set that example. So friends, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to help people identify themselves to be baptized, to identify themselves as followers of his, and to obey the commands that he's given us. Well, friends, let me conclude. I hope that this talk is getting you a bit excited about this term. Uh, In fact, not just this term, but this whole year ahead. But more than this, I hope that you're willing to step up and to obey the command of Jesus here, to make disciples of all nations, to help people identify themselves as followers of Jesus, and to obey his commands. But friends, I can assure you, if we don't do this ourselves in the first place, not only will we look like hypocrites when we try and teach others, but we ourselves will just simply be ignoring the commands of Jesus. So let me ask you this evening, do you submit yourself to the authority of Jesus? Do you identify yourself as a follower of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? 
And do you obey the commands of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, I hope over the next term that as we look more closely at what Jesus teaches about discipleship, that it will become easier for you to identify yourself as a follower of his because we will simply be immersing ourselves more and more in him and that you will not only start but continue to follow the commands of Jesus even more in your life so that at the end of the year you notice a real difference. And then as we change, all of us, as we change in our lives, it's my hope and my prayer that we'll have a desire to see other lives changed so that we as Christians, can go from here together and be making disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die and rise again. We thank you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Help us to submit to him as our Lord and Saviour. Help us to hear this command of making disciples of all nations and help us to change our lives first and then be involved in changing others For your praise and glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little earlier in the service, I mentioned that we'll have opportunity for questions. Uh, Already a couple of uh, text messages have come rolling in, which is great. But I want to give you just a little bit of filler time now to text away, if that's your thing, if you've got some questions to ask. And I want to let you know that in just a few moments, we'll be singing again. And when we sing again, we'll be passing around... The offertory bags, and that's an opportunity for regular members of St Andrews to contribute to the work of St Andrews, uh, and of course our mission and aid partners as well. So, uh, be ready for that when it comes by in just a few minutes' time. I did mention earlier too our getting in touch uh, cards. They are on the welcome tables as you arrive. If you would like to join a small group, if you'd like to let us know that your contact details have changed or that you have a particular need for prayer, that's a great thing to do is to either fill those in uh, and, again, you may give them to me. Uh, If you already have filled that in, you can actually put it in the offertory bag when that goes by. Well, we do have uh, quite a number now of uh, questions that have come rolling in, so uh, strap yourself in here, Mel. Um, This could be good. Um, First question that uh, I want to bring to you, it says, uh, you spoke of God judging us with eyes blazing and a sword in his mouth. Do you think we will agree with his judgment when it happens? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my, my instant thought is once we understand the holiness of God, uh, and we see it in Isaiah, Isaiah goes to the heavenly room of God and he stands before God who is holy and almighty. And the first thing he says is, Woe to me, I am a sinner. I wonder if that's going to be our response. So I think, yes, if we see the holiness of God, we're going to see that we deserve God's judgment. Uh, And for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that means we will still be acceptable to him despite that. And so I think we will agree with his judgment in that way. I think you're right, Mal. Mm. But I think you're right because of Revelation chapter 16. Where, when the punishment of God is revealed, actually all of the saints gather around and sing a song of how great it is that God's judgment has been executed. So that might be a, a little extra help. Um, yeah. And I had time to cheat and look that up while you oh, were okay. speaking and I saw that question That's come okay. in. I should That's declare okay. that. You know, I just That's don't okay. have that at my fingertips. But uh, I don't know that if that's, is, is that song something we're going to have introduced, Santino, into the repertoire? We could. It's a good song. I like that one. Um, 
another question for you. There, there was a follow-up question, but because of the number of questions that have come in, I'm going to leave the follow-up. Uh, forgive me, uh, questioner, uh, number one. Um, next question. How do we work out when to baptise in the New Testament? Um, how do we work out when... Oh, sorry. How do we work out when baptise in the New Testament means baptise with water and when it just means to immerse in the faith? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think I actually think they're the same thing. So I think you, when you baptise someone uh, in water, you are, are doing a visual demonstration of them immersing themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's but it's 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 a one-off event, baptism of water. It's not like you get up every day and baptise yourself and baptise yourself. You 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 baptise to make a public declaration in water that I'm going on to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But actually, the effects of that need to be seen every day in our lives, don't they, in the way that we live, to show that our baptism, our water baptism, was actually true. Great. Uh, I have a third one. Liberals on the left, fundamentalists on the right. What defines St Andrews as in the middle? (laughs) I was just taking a shot in the dark. (laughs) Um, I, I, I... don't think we're fundamentalists. I don't think we're liberal. I think we're somewhere in the middle of those. I think they're both extremes, and I think we're somewhere in the middle where we are. We'll, we'll, let's work that out together. I've got a question for you at the end. Oh, it's always you. nice when you've got the last question, isn't it? Mal, what would you like us to take home from this sermon tonight? Uh, I want you to get excited about the sermon series. Um, uh, discipleship is something that is, I think, very, it's very close to my heart, obviously. I, I think the Bible teaches... Uh, with Jesus' command, this is what we're, we're meant to be doing. And so uh, I want us to be thinking, great, this is a term where we, we're going to think more about this and, and learn more about this. Uh, and, and I really, I guess I want you to get excited by that. I want you to see that this is something that we should be doing. And so I guess get on board in that sense as well. Um, but this is very much meant to be an introduction to a, a whole series where uh, we're going to be challenged by God's word very deeply, I think.